I'm Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Welcome to another great episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Let's go ahead and get this thing started. I just want to thank our sponsors, Medical Villa Pharmacy at 1520 Lenny Walker Boulevard. If you're looking for affordable health care and a pharmacy that you can trust, look no further than the Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355. I also want to shout out TaxWise Financial at 2664 Tobacco Road in Hepzibah. Professional and affordable representation, the wise choice for all your tax needs, 706-305-1412. And my friends over at Urban Pro Weekly, it's a free weekly newspaper and a CSRA that covers issues relating to the local community. Making a difference, of course, has a weekly column in UPW. Uh, back issues are available at the Urban Pro Weekly page on Facebook. want to share with you all a great conversation that I had with, I would say, a political icon in. Uh, not only the Augusta Richmond County area, but really uh, throughout the state of Georgia. I want to share with you all a, a community conversation that we did uh, some months ago with uh, State Senator Charles, Charles Walker. It's still very relevant even now. Uh, we had a chance to talk about uh, city politics, about the uh, long-ranging uh, effects of consolidation. I uh, talked about SPLOS. also had a chance to sit down and talk about HBCUs as well, which is ironic uh, because of a recent conversation uh, that I had uh, over at the uh, Florida A&M University alumni page on Facebook. I don't know if you all heard uh, the story about uh, Florida State University donating a, a million, I believe it was a million dollar scoreboard or uh, a, a scoreboard of uh, significant value uh, to Florida A&M University. I was skeptical of the move, uh, particularly because of a really frosty relationship between the two universities over the years, not to mention uh, the relationship that uh, FAMU has had uh, with the state of Florida uh, itself in terms of some of the controversial actions that have happened, uh, you know, going back to 1965 and 1966. And, and really what I believe in is just a, really a challenging times for historically black colleges and universities, which is something that I'll certainly uh, be speaking on at a later date. But at this point in time, I just want to share with you a very timely a very intriguing and a very thought-provoking a conversation that I had here with former state senator Charles Walker. So you guys enjoy this. You're listening to Making a Difference. I am very excited about our next guest here with, to me, just I, I believe a, a very esteemed uh, member of uh, Augusta. Look, not just uh, historically, but I think even presently, when you hear uh, some of his commentary and just his his views and thoughts and really insights as it relates to Augusta. I'm here with former senator. Uh, Charles Walker, how you doing, uh, Senator? Fine, I'm doing good. Thank you. Glad to have you. <clears throat> Excuse me, y'all. The reason why I, I wanted to speak to the Senator first and foremost is because I wanted to share some of the comments um, that he had in regards uh, to paying college. I, uh, when I when I had a chance to read this on Facebook, my thing was I, I wish everyone had a chance to read this. Um, it is uh, in terms of, or I, sh- I should say, it's in reference to paying college. And the Senator said, I was just thinking, do the people of Augusta understand the magnitude of Payne College's contribution to our community. I'm having a hard time understanding why local elected officials cannot find a way to support the institution that paved the way for so many. Uh, There was a time that over 70% of Richmond County educators were trained at Payne College. Uh, When no other institution would accept minorities, Payne College was there. Um, I would like to know what you think about Payne and other local agencies being left in the woods. Um, And you said education is the natural equalizer. Payne College matters. Talk about the, the spirit of that commentary and why 
um, you were compelled to share that with the, the community? Well, I want to get the community to start thinking about what in the hell are we doing? <laughs> I mean, you know, Payne College is a very significant institution. I did not go to Payne College. I went to Augusta State. But I believe that Payne College uh, is the foundation from which we have uh, uh, propelled ourselves from the jaws of ignorance and, and, and denial to where we are today because most of the teachers uh, that we have in the Richmond County School System where we all grew up at, uh, most, of the, most of the teachers, our instructors, and principals came from Payne College. And the college has made a significant contribution. And the college has not asked Augusta for anything. The local government has never supported Payne College financially or otherwise. So now is the opportunity for them to grow the education opportunities for so many people in Augusta and Richmond County. And in the same time, they can help Payne College sustain and overcome this economic burden in which they currently have. Now, you have to understand that there is, there, there is a, some responsibility to go back to the historically black colleges for, for managing their facilities and creating education opportunities where people will be glad to go to the school and pay them necessary money to attend the college. So I was just concerned about the black elected officials who could not or would not find a way to include nonprofit and paying nonprofit agencies and paying college in the $200 million splash. And they couldn't see fit to put four or five million at paying college and two or three million dollars in other nonprofit groups in Augusta, Georgia. I don't understand that. That is when you when you mentioned in terms of black elected officials and of course paying being a historically black college um, slash university. I mean that does really create I mean it, it raises a lot of concerns and raises a lot of questions. Great uh, commentary from me there. Uh, Mr. Senator, I want to ask you just in terms of SPLOS, the special purpose local option sales tax, even beyond, and, and not to say that certainly the local nonprofits are not a big component of that, but what are your views on SPLOS um, in general as it's currently constructed as we're coming up to that uh, very important vote? Well, I think SPLOS is a excellent tool to uh, gain access to taxpayers' money uh, that they voted to give you. I think it's a good tool. I think we should use splash. Uh, a good, a, a large percentage of the splash money does come from people in surrounding counties. So that's that's a good thing. So I think to use that concept it, uh, in order to raise money is good, and I think it's going to be with us forever. Because once one thing I know about elected officials, once they get a source of revenue, it's going to be very difficult for them to cut it off. You know, splash is supposed to be on an as-needed basis, but they have made it germane mm. to the function and operation of local government. It is no longer an option as to whether or not we have splash. It is absolutely mandatory that we have splash or you will experience a tremendous amount of uh, neglect of the infrastructure in Augusta and Richmond County. So you can bet your bottom now that once uh, an elected official and the, and the bureaucrats get their hands hooked onto $200 million, they're never going to let it go. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, because in, in just in my research over here and just learning more about you, um, your um, political social motivations are really community oriented in terms of making sure that everyone has an opportunity, everybody gets a piece of the pie. I look at SPLOS and one of the concerns that I have with SPLOS 
just in Richmond County, and I was saying comparatively with Columbia County. Columbia County, I see the Lady 8 there, that was paid for with Splos dollars. And now I'm seeing Richmond County acts going to Columbia County. Conversely, I'm seeing Splos dollars that, as you mentioned, are not going to infrastructure, are really not going toward the spirit of helping people when you talk about East Boundary. Not only not building up those communities as far as infrastructure, but are not building up those communities in terms of providing opportunities in the way of jobs. What can be done or what needs to be done to demand that level of accountability from our elected officials? Well, you make a very good point and it's a great question. Uh, until we are ready to discuss economics in the political arena, we just wasted our time. Uh, economics, that is the crux of the matter. The larger community will go along with anything you want as long as you're not talking about redistribution and having access to capital, to dollars and cents. Uh, they'll be happy to help you with your social programs, give you $500 contribution for your social programs, give you $150 for your church. But don't ask for or don't expect to get any real economic participation. For example, to build the roads and bridges that they're talking about building, it's going to cost $100 million. And you will find no black contractor involved in building those roads and bridges. Now, you will have some blacks who will be employees, but not controlling the economic pie. And so until you are willing to share uh, the economic advantage of the SPLOS, then what we receive in the black community is always going to be the margin, the, at the margins. And, and with that, <clears throat> because to me that's a, that's, that's, that's a dire picture, when you, and it just even in terms of now you have a black majority on the commission, first time uh, since consolidation, and so you have these individuals um, who are on the commission now, and to me that's part of their legacy. If you cannot um, reallocate the SPLOS to be able to help uh, the community at large, particularly districts who have suffered, mostly African-American districts who have suffered over you know, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that going to impact their legacy some when it comes to this? I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that everybody, just because you get elected doesn't mean that you understand legacy. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody, some people think that, you know, that, that communication is the reason that we had slavery, lack of communication. You know, well, it wasn't a lack of communication. We had people who were just mean-spirited and just took advantage of, of African-Americans. And that thing has lasted for about 400 years. And, and so just because you have a, quote, black majority doesn't mean that you have a black majority who are focused on redistribution and, act, and, and open up access to the economic system as it relates to the county government. The county government spends a lot of money, and uh, we need to be a part of the economic system. Let me tell you my version of leadership. Sure. I see leadership as getting things done for the total community. I'll give you an example. Uh, in 1990, 1999, uh, I asked the Georgia General Assembly for $30 million to start the renovations and the renaissance of downtown Augusta. And if you ride around this community now, you'll see over uh, $100 million worth of new properties, homes that are on the tax books that once was, were bunch of dilapidated properties all over Augusta and Richmond County, all on Hopkins Street, uh, all the streets around here, Twig Street, you'll see now 12th Street, 
11th Street. You'll see now that there is absolutely all kind of beautiful homes, people are paying taxes and living in the community. Well, that got started because of the $30 million that I was able to get in the budget for the Augusta Neighborhood Improvement Corporation. That's leadership. When we were in the General Assembly, we made sure that the Medical College of Georgia received a $5 million to start the cancer center going, get that particular wow. items going. And we, I was responsible for putting $1 million in the budget to restore Candler Hall at Payne College. That's what I call providing leadership that impacts the total community. The white community benefit, benefited from it and the black community. So everybody got a piece of the pie. But the only problem, the difference was that we focused on redeveloping the neighborhoods of the downtrodden and the poor. But the same people who've always made a profit, they still got a chance to make a profit, but they got a chance to make a profit from the good works that were being done downtown. That's a, that's a great perspective. It brings up so many um, different issues. I just think socially, you know, when you look at even now, uh, the Lane Walker um, neighborhood and their concerns, you know, gentrification, different things like that. That's, that's for a later broadcast, but you just touched on so many different things that I want to challenge the listening audience to think about. I want to shift gears here just for a second and going back to talking about paying college and HBCUs in general, because I believe there is a duality here. Not, I'm not just paying, but I think just HBCUs on the whole, the responsibility of the community of government to support HBCUs versus uh, the aspect of uh, personal accountability, talking about you know um, administration, even alumni. Uh, to support the schools where you know we graduated from, where you know we learned so much and we gained so much, um, can you uh, kind of help us to discern just between you know um, how much of that is on the community, how much of that is on the college? Well, I think there's a dual responsibility. I agree. Those of us in the community and those who are alumni of the of the school should support the school and, and get involved in, in trying to make the school the best that you can make it. But the fact of the matter is, is that because so many opportunities or avenues exist to get a good education now, and where the historical black college at one time, they had a captive audience, and they, they, they no longer have that. Every school in Georgia, whether they're the private for profits or the state supported schools, they have they will admit African-Americans in their school. So the black, historically black colleges are catching absolute hell trying to get students to come to the school. Uh, a lot of you historically black colleges have less than a thousand students. And it's very difficult. You have, a, you have a, the tipping point in any situation. For example, if you have, uh, sometimes if you got a small faculty at a college and you get 1,500 students, that's too, that's too big. But 400 is too small. So you have to operate somewhere between 450 and 1,500 students in order to get a balance that you can support. So we've got to the point now where the black, historically black colleges and state schools, students just don't apply. And so therefore the revenues are down, which means you got a smaller staff, you got to start laying off people, then the quality of education goes down. Then you got the second and third string people running the departments because the first string people won't come or are leaving. So, you know, you, it, it, it has a, a rippling effect. I want to ask you, because I think about schools, uh, Claflin University, which is right next door to South Carolina State, and I can just, you know, attest to, for so long it was a big brother, little brother thing where South Carolina State was the big brother. But now you look at a situation where South Carolina State is dealing with a lot of financial struggles 
Conversely, little brother has become big brother because they are, you know, partnering with corporations. Um, they are um, being more mindful in terms of money management. And they have a great leader. Yes, sir. The president <laughs> of the of, of uh, Claflin. Claflin uh, is a great fundraiser, and so that leader is bringing money into the school. He's doing a great job. That's what you have to have as a great leader. Payne still has a uh, right now. They have an acting president. And uh, he, he's not, I don't think that he's responsible or has been charged with raising any, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I know he will if he, if he can, mm -hmm. but you gotta have a real fundraiser. Someone who is committed to the long haul, uh, not the short haul. And is, um, is that part of the blueprint or is that the blueprint? There should be the blueprint for our HBCUs. It is the blueprint, it is all, it's all that they have. <laughs> So you got to understand, most kids who graduate from HCBUs get jobs, get ordinary jobs and ordinary income, and they live ordinary lives. And what you so therefore they're not going to make a ten million dollar contribution to the college. It's not like a Georgia Tech or MIT or Harvard University where you would go and you end up running a twenty billion dollar company. You can afford to give money back. We just we we're not lucky enough to get that. The money that we have. And the, black, the wealth that we have in the black community, some of it comes from business, but a lot of it comes from sports and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And sports and entertainment people who have hit it overnight and they get big overnight and make $100 million, they're not going to give anybody any money. They're not, they're not accustomed to giving money yet. Now they might, you know, if they went to a white college, and uh, like uh, Michael Jordan, for example, you know, he gave North Carolina State the school he went to. I think he gave him $20 million. Well, the state school didn't need no $20 million. He could have <laughs> given that to North Carolina AT&T. And that would have been had a more of an impact. Than that. But he went to North Carolina right. University. So I understand he gave it to his, his alma mater. But had it not been for North Carolina, he would not have become Michael Jordan. So I understand it. But I think he could have split that money in half. But who am I to tell Michael Jordan what to do with his money? When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with former state Senator Charles Walker. Come back with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you looking for affordable health care? Are you looking for a pharmacy that you can trust? Well, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard here in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. This may be a familiar voice to you. Hey, it's none other than Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference. And I just want to tell you about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy. They're led by pharmacists, Dr. Marshall Curtis and Baron Curtis. And I tell you, they provide great service for many of us here in Augusta, Richmond County. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they even provide free delivery service. The Medical Villa Pharmacy is conveniently located in the medical district near the Medical College of Georgia and Payne College, Medical Villa Pharmacy. They are dedicated doctors, medical mavens, and a blessing to the health industry. What more can I say but head to Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Have you gotten a letter from the IRS about an audit, levy, or tax lien? Worried because you haven't filed taxes in several years? Well, stop worrying and call the tax pros at TaxWise Financial on Tobacco Road. TaxWise Financial is licensed to represent you at all levels of the IRS in any state. From the simple to the complex, professional and affordable representation by TaxWise Financial will help resolve 
solve all of your tax issues. Call them at 706-305-1412. TaxWise Financial, the wise choice for all your tax needs. I'm Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. We're continuing the conversation uh, with the former Senator uh, Charles Walker. Wanted to ask you, I saw where you spoke uh, recently with uh, the Augusta Chronicle in terms of consolidation. And uh, look, just really want to get to uh, the nitty gritty as it relates to this conversation. You have some people saying, well, the, the question was being asked whether consolidation succeeded um, or whether it failed. I want to ask your comments on that first and foremost. Well, I think consolidation has succeeded. Uh, what we wanted to do was get equality in government, and we had that. And so as far as I'm concerned, it has succeeded. Uh, all the bills are being paid. They got a little surplus. Uh, now in terms of getting along with each other, managing uh, the day-to-day affairs, I think that there's much to be desired, but they should turn that over to the professionals and let them do that. But in terms of the governing process, I think we're doing just fine. That's good. I want, I want to ask you, in, uh, we'll put, to put it in terms of this, consolidation and just kind of the history of consolidation. You have the five black and the five white. That is in terms of what you're speaking on with the racial equality. Looking at it now in 2015, certainly there are still racial undertones, I'm going to say racial overtones as it relates to Augusta and, and the way things go around here. But in terms of now, we, now having a, uh, a county and a city that is majority African-American and to go into those di- to go into those districts and really go into all districts and to be able to have to create that profound economic change does the system of five black and five white still work to create to I'll put it this way you know what I'll ask this simply does the racial um, the racial angst the racial past of Augusta keep us from reaching toward the future in the present or reaching toward the future I'll say that I think the racial past <clears throat> has its impact on the present, but I don't think it keeps us from reaching into the future, if you understand the nature of the beast. The nature of the beast. Um, can you elaborate on that? Well, I mean, you got to understand that, you know, those who have power prefer maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. And therefore, anything you do that changes the norm or removes or move away from the status quo, it's going to cause a heartburn for those who want to maintain the status quo. After all, the status quo means that they're in charge of everything and <laughs> own everything. So I can understand they want to maintain the status quo. And that's in Augusta is the kind of town, I think, where the status quo has always been the first priority. Uh, some people are willing to, for give you a good example, uh, I think Augusta State University uh, should have been Augusta State University, but there were so many people got angry when they named it uh, uh, Georgia Regents University because that moved a long ways from the status quo. It's just a name. But people got fight mad and uh, they weren't satisfied until they ran Z it off. Now, I don't know whether Z was good or bad. I, I was not that impressed with him because he wanted to close Laney Walker right. Boulevard. I didn't like that. But uh, I don't know whether he's good or bad, but I know one thing, that he stepped on the wrong toes and they ran him out of town. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about that status quo and I want to juxtapose it against the black majority on the commission because a lot of and I've, I've said this to commissioners is my the way I feel about it is this you know what's at stake you know what happened when you had the quote-unquote gang of six and you had the six white commissioners 
if I was one of those commissioners, one of the first things I would have come in and, and done, I would have said, well, everything that was done in the spirit of privatization that hurt our community and hurt our districts, we would have undone those things entirely. Um, that would have been one of the first things I did. I, did, I would have done coming in. I would have also said, you know, looking over the last 20 years, what profound things have happened in our community, and let's sit down as a commission, and even if we have to sit down as a majority. To, I mean, look, <laughs> this is what happened with, the, as I mentioned, the Gang of Six. Let's sit down and we're gonna do this in the spirit of good government, but also understanding that there are some things that need to be done that we need to accomplish. So that, that would have been my approach, but I, I wanna get your viewpoints on that. Just from now having a, a black majority and having the opportunity to say, you know what? We're in the driver's seat now. There are some things that we need, and this is what we're going to do. Well, I don't think you need to exact any retribution, but I do think that there are some things that should, should be turned around. Uh, for example, we, at the lock up there, we signed an agreement with the county, Columbia County, for 50 years for a dollar a year. And that's some very prized property that we uh, lease to the uh, Columbia County. Well, the uh, prior governments cannot lease future governments, cannot uh, bind uh, future governments. So they can change that. I think that we have a system that is very dangerous in our community. We need to pay close attention to, to it, but we don't. And you, even I don't care if you have a black majority, they're not going to touch this subject. And the subject is our criminal justice system. We have a system that is combined with Columbia County so that the judges run county, three counties wide. But the majority of the people in Richmond County are African Americans. We don't have a, our fair representation of Superior Court judges. But we are paying, we are footing the bill for the Superior Court system in, in, in this area. Columbia County pays some money, but we are paying the bulk of it. Now you're not going to tell me that it, what we need to do is let Columbia County have their own judicial system and Richmond, if we're going to go in with the Columbia County, they have the option of going with Columbia County or they come in with Richmond County. And that, that should be the system. We do not to have, we do not need to have Columbia County controlling the judicial system of Augusta Richmond County. That's why we have all these long 25, 30 year, 40 year sentences on these young people. We got to change the criminal justice system to bring justice back to the system. Talk, share with the listening audience because some people say, well, we're talking about economics. What does the criminal justice system have to do with oh economics? Share it, share it with them. Uh, Mr. The Senator. criminal justice system is the key component that perpetuates poverty in the black community. Black, poor black people support the entire uh, criminal justice system with fines. You get a traffic ticket, you pay $250 for a traffic ticket plus 40% for court fees. All this money goes to run local government, and all this money comes from the poorest of the poorest. Because those who have money, they don't, they don't, first of all, they don't get stopped as often, and then if they do get stopped, they don't have to get, they don't get uh, wiped out as often. You go down to the courthouse for a DUI, it costs you a thousand dollar fine, a one year probation, they put you on probation, they put you in the central group, and you have to pay them on a, month, a monthly fee for being on probation for, for a traffic violation. Why do you need to be on probation for a traffic violation? <laughs> Why do you need to charge a thousand dollars for a, a, a traffic violation? If somebody go something, a person making a, a seven dollars and twenty-five cents an hour, you charge them three hundred dollars. That's their whole paycheck. 
and it happens all the time. Uh, that's that's so powerful. I, I want to tack this on. Look, I, I got to ask the senator one more question on, on the heels of that. We talk, you know, the country and mass media now, the conversations about Ferguson, Baltimore, Black Lives Matter. But that part of the conversation is what is lost when you talk about the, the, the criminal justice system. And, and, and I want to commend you for that. People don't understand. Even coming out of Ferguson, now you have when the, uh, the Department of Justice was in Ferguson, they said, look, um, the way you all run the government is disproportionately affecting African-Americans. What can it's we- It's all over the country. It's not just in Augusta, it's all over the country. And they got to change the way you finance the criminal justice system. The fines are too, too long, the fines are too high, and the sentences are too long. And the burden is unbearable. And you never get away from it. Now, they, now the criminal justice system creates a permanent segment in our community that will always be poor and in need. That's almost 25% of the population will be impacted by the criminal justice system for, the, for their entire lives. If you get a felon or a high misdemeanor, it goes on your record. Nobody in Augusta, Georgia, or in the country will hire you if you have a felon on your record. So how in the hell are you gonna ever take care of your family? You can't go in the army, you can't work for the federal government, you can't work for the state government. You are hit for all the rest of your life based on one incident. That is a significant economic impact. You're impacting the lives and the families of thousands and thousands of people, not only in Augusta, all over the country. So we got to address that. If you want to deal with the criminal justice system, take the economic reward out of it and the system will correct itself. Man, that... That's a good stopping point right there. So grateful. I, I, I want to encourage just the, the Augusta community at large. Um, uh, Senator Walker's here um, on, on Laney Walker Boulevard. To me, just a, a great resource, a great resource um, in terms of insight, a great resource as far as economics. Did you want to speak to um, your, uh, your book, a great book, From Peanuts to Power? I've had a chance um, to read it. To, um, tell us about the book very, very, very briefly. Well, the book is going good, Peanuts to Power. It is now in paperback, so you can get it right. for half the price. It's $15. Uh, we, we, we did very well with the hardcover. Now we're making it available to everybody. Okay. So it's $15. They can go to our website, charleswalker.com, and uh, they can order the book, and we can have it, autograph copy, we can have it to you in three days. So the book is back, it's available. I want everybody to read it because I deal with and I talk about the economic system, how to get started in business, how to deal with the banks, how to deal with the employees, and how to make the system work for you. It is a must-read book. It is no nonsense. It is hard-hitting. It is profound in, in every way. Again, Senator Walker, thank you so much for coming on uh, to Making a Difference today. Thank you very much, Ken. Yes, sir. Did you enjoy that episode of Making a Difference? If you did, then I want you to follow and keep up with the Making a Difference movement on Twitter, on Facebook, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. If you're looking us up on iTunes, search for Making M-A-K-I-N-A Difference. SoundCloud, all you got to do is go to soundcloud.com backslash Making a Difference. On Twitter, the handle is Difference Making, M-A-K-I-N. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com backslash Making a Difference Show, S-H-O-W. Thank you guys so much for supporting the movement. Love you guys. Peace and God bless.